This episode of Investing Compass is brought to you by Milford. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Learn more and see the Milford Fund product disclosure statements and target market determinations at milfordasset.com.au. Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. All right, so Shani, we're back recording mm-hmm. because you are back I from back. your trip. Yes. So you went to Sri Lanka. I did. And the first thing you said to me is, I look quite tanned. <laughs> yes, I did say that. So you spent some time in the sun. <laughs> I did. And how was the trip? Um, it was really good. I just lazed around, drank coconuts um, and gin and ate lots of curry and fruit. And that's it. Okay. It sounds a little bit like what you do here, but it was <laughs> nice that you got to do that in a different country. And you told me that you had you moved around a couple places mm-hmm. and you had somebody driving you in between those places. Yes. And you said that your mother contacted this person. She did. And told him to drive slow. And so it took you a really long time to get anywhere. Yeah. So we were traveling from um, Colombo down south. And this trip probably should have taken an hour and a half and ended up taking three. So it was quite frustrating. But um, precious cargo, apparently. Exactly. Exactly. So did you use your iPhone when you were there? I did use my iPhone. I took lots of pictures. Okay. And the reason I mentioned an iPhone is because we're going to talk about iPhones today. Are we? We are. And we're going to talk about Apple, who makes iPhones. Okay. And did you know that you are one of 1.36 billion people who own an iPhone? And that's globally, of course, not in Australia. And that's saying something that's 19% of all mobile phones that are used worldwide. And although that doesn't seem that impressive, that is competing, competing against every other phone model. And we're going to do, as it's probably obvious right now, we're going to do a deep dive on Apple. And Apple's share price is close to an all-time high as we record this. And I will say, just as disclosure, Shawnee owns an iPhone. I do own some Apple stock. I bought it back in 2016, which has worked out pretty well. It's up around 600% since then. And the dividend's gone up from $0.56 a share to $0.96 a share. And even if you don't own it directly, if you own a broad international index fund or an S&P 500 fund, you will have an outsized position in Apple. And it was the second most traded US stock for Aussie users of ShareSite in the month of May behind Tesla. And if we look at the S&P 500, Apple makes up around 7.5% of that index. And that's just one stock out of 500. And the stock has grown a lot. So obviously, I mentioned since 2016. But if you invested in Apple on the 30th of June, 2008, on the 21st of June, 2023, it would have grown 2,976%. So clearly, I should have bought it earlier. That's how you feel about SJ, right? 
that and that's in true. A bigger position. I know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, it is huge. And so for a stock that has had such a meteoric rise and a company that has made products that a lot of us use throughout the day and a strong likelihood that you have exposure to the stock if you have international stock exposure, how is it as an investment opportunity? And that's what we're going to discuss today, of course. And I think Apple, the company, probably doesn't need much of an introduction, but we do need to set a bit of a foundation to understand how our analyst thinks about Apple. Apple has been around since the mid-1970s, and so for such a fresh company, it has existed for longer than both of us. Yes, some some more than others, but... <laughs> it is the world's biggest company by market cap, and it is an absolute Goliath. It recently hit a $3 trillion USD market cap, which is bigger than every company that trades in Australia. Its dominance stems from its ability to package hardware, software, services, semiconductors, and third-party applications into sleek, intuitive, and appealing devices. That sounds like a commercial for I know. Apple. I was just about to say that. Exactly. Well, today we're going to talk about something called a walled garden. And we're going to talk about this in terms of the approach for Apple's iOS ecosystem. And a walled garden is basically a closed ecosystem where all the operations are controlled by the operator, in this case, Apple. And what this allows Apple to do is it allows them to capture a premium on its devices, unlike most of its peers that rely on open operating systems like Windows and Android. And when we talk about a premium, it is pretty mind-blowing. The base markup on the latest iPhone model is 119%. That is insane. It is. It is. So it costs them about 500 well, not about, I guess this is an exact number, <laughs> $501 US to make each iPhone 14, and Apple sells the base model for $1,099 US. I went on the Apple website and they recommended iPhone 14 Pro Max, um, and it is $1,899. For, for a phone. Yes, for a phone. So it's definitely selling at a premium. And we don't see any other technology titan with comparable expertise across consumer hardware, software, and services. Because of this, Apple are able to build premium devices that have industry-leading average selling prices and margins, and at the apex of this is the iPhone. And our analyst refers to this as their crown jewel. No one has ever said anything that nice about me. And an interesting fact about Shani, Shani is obsessed with the crown jewels. <sighs> is that an interesting fact? It's not interesting, but it's an interesting fact about you. But you're obsessed about them because you always tell me about how they were stolen from places like Sri Lanka. This is um, very controversial for an investing podcast. Let's maybe change the topic. So... <laughs> um, this ward garden approach lends itself naturally to a mode, and that's high customer switching costs. First, think about the risk of customers moving away from smartphones, and it is just an unimaginable scenario. They are essential computing devices for users, even though there have been innovations such as smart speakers, AR, VR headsets, and the Internet of Things. Okay, why don't you describe what the Internet of Things is, Shani? Basically, it is a term to discuss the billions of physical devices that connect and exchange data. Yes, we're very tech savvy here. Yeah, not, not quite, Mark. <laughs> okay, well, as people probably realize, the smartphone has replaced a bunch of products already. So standalone cameras, MP3 players, gaming consoles, and it's also the primary portal that many people use to access digital services like emails, ebooks, web browsing, social media, shopping, podcasts, and Instagram accounts where I post all of my food pictures. You know, you've got 62 followers, Mark. I did have a look at that. 
Yeah, no, it's pathetic. No, I think it's quite a good audience. Okay. As long as they're engaged. Yeah, I don't know how engaged they are. But anyway, besides my pathetic followers, we can look past the iPhone and talk about some other things that Apple makes as well. So they've got a suite of hardware products. They've got the iPad, the Mac, the Apple Watch, AirPods, and all of these enhance the experience of the user. And we just don't see these products becoming irrelevant. These multiple devices are, in our analyst's opinion, the stickiest aspect of the iPhone. If you're, on an, if you're an iPhone user and you've got an iPad, a Mac, a Apple Watch, or AirPods, you understand that a lot of the value that you get from these products is how seamlessly they integrate together, and they lose significant functionality if they're paired with non-Apple products. And an example is if you receive a message. Hasn't happened yet, but hopefully someday, Shani. <laughs> Maybe that's not an iPhone problem. But if you do receive a message, an iMessage will show up on an iPhone, iPad, Mac, and Watch if they're all owned by a customer. Apple's active install base, so that's iPhone, Mac, and iPad, reached $1.8 billion at the end of 2021, up 9% from a year prior, and that highlights the growing adoption of multiple iOS products by individuals. And our analyst doesn't believe that iOS will lose ground to new or existing operating systems like Android, just thinks that Apple's market share is pretty secure. So that's a little bit about switching costs. There's also intangible assets that contribute to Apple's wide moat. Apple's got a very distinct and differentiated user experience through iOS, and its design is industry-leading. This means that they can vertically integrate products more seamlessly. And there's also a little sprinkle of network effect. A sprinkle. A sprinkle. It's got a billion users as an installed base with new app development favoring iOS. So basically, when app developers develop an app, they can develop for iOS or Android or Windows. Developers are favoring iOS because of this established base. All in all, our analysts consider the iPhone a revolutionary product that created the smartphone ecosystem and transitioned people away from the computer and to the smartphone. And the app store is robust and it strengthens every day. And this fosters iPhone adoption and grows Apple's user base. Going forward, what we see Apple doing is better monetizing its captive user base. So all the users that are stuck in its walled garden. So it's basically a walled prison. Yeah, in a lot of ways it is. But that would be through supplemental products and services. So they're Apple Watch, Apple Music, Apple TV, iCloud, the list goes on. And that'll develop into a more robust recurring revenue stream for Apple. And services now make up around 22% of their total revenue. And this is really attractive revenue as it's generally recurring, which of course investors like. The other really attractive thing about services is that they have gross margins of 70%. That compares to product margins, basically selling hardware of mid 30%. And gross margin is the money that companies get after you account for the cost of delivering the service. So the more the services make up of the revenue, the better it is for shareholders. Want to give your portfolio an offensive and defensive strategy? Check out the award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. Utilizing the skills of Milford's experienced investment team, the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund has been focusing on delivering a smoother journey for investors for over half a decade. With an emphasis on managing risk and generating absolute returns, this lower volatility equity fund can play a key role in a diversified portfolio. The fund strives for long-term capital growth while mitigating the ups and downs typically experienced when investing in share markets. Find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund, ticker symbol 
MFOA on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination also found at milfordasset.com.au. Okay, so let's spend a second on competitors. We mentioned that we think Apple's expertise in hardware, software, semiconductors, and services are an intangible asset. Even the strongest tech firms are struggling to replicate this advantage. And although the Android cohort has replicated a similar feel of apps, app stores, and integrated experiences, the third parties within the Android ecosystem just don't work well enough together like the Apple products do. And competitors such as Samsung that have produced the Galaxy smartphone and Google, which is Android OS, they specialize in hardware and software respectively. And this means that there's no true integration like the iPhone. So, Mark, I am a Formula One tragic. Here's something vanilla I can talk about. <laughs> yes, I, I'm aware that you are a big <laughs> Formula One fan. And so I started following Formula One from a young age. And back then, my team was McLaren Mercedes. Okay, so this is like your tangent. Like I do my history tangents. Yes. And I finally, can... you're doing one on F1. On Formula One, yes. There you go. So in F1, you have a chassis, McLaren. And you have an engine supplier, which is Mercedes. And a lot of this has to do with expertise, but it also has to do with money. It's much cheaper to buy an engine from another supplier than it is to research and build your own. And so most of the grid was filled with this chassis engine provider combinations. But what you also have is teams that have a lot of money, teams like Ferrari, teams now like Mercedes AMG. And it is so difficult for these hybrid teams to win and consistently win when they are trying to build a car around a pre-built engine that has been handed to them. Um, but anyway, that's how I justified my team never winning any championships while okay. I supported them. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm going to take a stab in the dark that what you said is actually relevant. It is. Yes. Okay. So what you're saying basically is that this is similar to the smartphone market. Yes. That it's hard to compete with a smartphone that has an operating system built by the same manufacturer. You got it. And that the integration just isn't the same and the performance just isn't there. Yes. Well done. All right. Well, good for me. Okay. So Apple has three moat sources. We don't think that Apple's captive user base is going to be scaling the walls of its walled garden anytime soon. Switching costs are stronger than ever because of all the products that users are adopting. Switching away from iOS is just becoming more and more difficult for users. Intangible assets look safe and network effects around iOS and its 1 billion plus installed base is rock solid. So a strong, wide moat. Exactly. And we mentioned price before, but let's speak quickly about this because it's one of Apple's strengths. When we look to tech, one of the underlying patterns that we see is that as time moves on, technology becomes cheaper and more efficient to produce. This leads to lower prices. And this was a large concern for investors in the smartphone market. It was just the fact that people thought smartphones were going to be commoditized. And what have we seen from Apple? We've seen Apple lift its iPhone average selling price much higher than Android. And so all of this sounds pretty spectacular. So we've got good pricing, a strong moat from three different sources. There must be some risks involved, Shani. So what are those? Well, that's a good question because we actually assign Apple a high Morningstar uncertainty rating. Apple is the largest firm in the world, and this means that they are prone to material competition in a cutthroat industry that is short product cycles and customers hungry for ever superior features. 
And this environment means that market leadership is difficult, but not impossible to maintain. The Ward Garden has helped Apple, but they still compete across all tiers with competitors. And customers are also holding on to their phones for much longer. They're more than good enough for what most of us use them for, web browsing, streaming, and social media. So this means that even if customers are walled in, revenue from customers is not recurring as often as before. The risk that Apple faces is the possibility of smartphone unit stagnation or even declines when emerging markets saturate or consumers gravitate to mid-tier devices. If they don't innovate, Apple may lose the ability to charge the premium prices that it does. And we've obviously seen this before. We concede Apple's competitive advantages are not insurmountable. And we've seen this by the rise and fall of former mobile device titans such as Nokia, Motorola, and BlackBerry, all of which fail to keep up with smartphone innovation. Though our analysts do argue that iPhone has become materially more vital to users than the preceding mobile devices. Some peers are also selling their hardware at cost to try and drive and maintain market share. A good example of this is Amazon with its Echo Smart Speaker, Fire TV, Prime Music and Prime Video. If these devices supersede their iOS counterparts, Apple might be at risk. And one place where Apple's not market leading is AI assistants, such as Google Assistant, Amazon's Alexa, and Apple's Siri. Siri has lost a lot of its efficacy, and other brands have a superior product. All right, so as a company, what about capital allocation? And obviously, as investors, we really care about capital allocation because it's a huge driver of the future growth of the business or the income we receive in the form of dividends. And for Apple, they are assigned an exemplary capital allocation rating. The rating reflects that Apple has a sound balance sheet, exceptional investments associated with the firm's strategy and execution, and appropriate shareholder distribution policies. And we can take a quick look at their balance sheet. They have $166 billion in gross cash and cash equivalents compared to $109 billion in debt as of March 2023. So they have sufficient cash flow and ample resources to meet debt obligations, capital expenditure requirements, shareholder returns, and any potential acquisitions that they want to make. Let's speak a little bit about shareholder distribution policies. Tim Cook, the CEO, decided to initiate dividend and stock buyback programs, as well as take on debt, in order to fund programs when most of the cash was trapped overseas. Apple is striving to achieve a net cash-neutral position over time. And everyone likes cash, so why don't we dig into their cash position a little bit, Shani? All right. So operating cash flow totaled $28.6 billion in the latest fiscal second quarter, compared with $24.4 billion at Microsoft, $23.5 billion at Alphabet, and $13.9 billion at Meta. It's pumping out more cash than any of its peers. So the problem for Apple, and a problem we would all like to have, is what should they do with all that cash? And they have made acquisitions, but ultimately it's not going to be a large focus as the company moves forward. Apple is focused on tuck-in acquisitions that have aided its R&D efforts over the years. Although the company has the balance sheet strength to conduct significant M&A activity in the years ahead, we suspect that Apple stick with its strategy of mostly building rather than buying technological expertise. And so on one hand, it's good to be cash rich. This means that the company has the flexibility to manage its businesses in good times by investing in innovation and maintaining their competitive advantage. And when the future is not so certain, this fortress balance sheet really helps. It allows the company to have the stability to keep running their business smoothly. It's been a large part of why investors find the stock appealing. 
and investors have been the winners in the cash issue facing Apple. The company has returned nearly $732 billion to its investors through share buybacks and dividends since the start of 2013. In that time frame, its stock price has soared 952.5% compared with 180.4% for the Morningstar US market index. And the main goal now, as we mentioned, is that Apple wants to be net cash neutral. And this has been a goal for them since 2018. What this means is that they want any excess cash to be balanced by total debt. Since 2018, the net cash position has shrunk by more than half. So they're on their way. But Morningstar equity analyst Abhinav Davaluri says that it might take years. Apple don't like making large acquisitions and they want to build things themselves. So investors should expect share buybacks from them to reach their goal of net cash neutral. They're also supercharging this by spending more. So they're increasing R&D significantly to almost double from their 2015 investment. And if we take a look at Apple's dividend, it's safe to say, Shani, it's not exciting. So the yield is 0.56%. Okay, so that naturally comes to fair value. Our fair value estimate for Apple is $150 per share. We're expecting revenue to drop, and we think that's pretty reasonable given the strong demand for products for the working from home trends during COVID. But regardless of this revenue drop, we still believe that iPhone revenue growth will be 3% CAGR, so that's compound annual growth rate over the next five years. And we think that the strategy for services to lock in users will succeed. We think that users will buy more and more of the firm's services like Apple TV and Apple Music. There will be strong growth across Apple's wearables and home accessories. And the latest from Apple that everyone is talking about, the VR headsets, Apple Vision Pro. Analyst doesn't believe that enough of these units will be sold to move the needle on its massive valuation. And currently, a $150 fair value puts Apple in the overvalued category, and it's a two-star stock. In terms of the type of investor that the stock may suit, Apple doesn't pay a decent dividend. It has experienced enormous growth and is a stock with attractive margins on its products and loyal customers. It's got three sources of moat protecting, protecting its competitive advantage. So it may suit long-term investors with a long time horizon that are confident in the company's trajectory. The only problem, of course, is the share price. And we've advocated for a watch list for investors before. It is choosing investments that align with your investment policy statement or IPS. The key to successful investing is buying quality companies at good prices. These quality investments aren't always priced cheaply and Apple will probably never be cheap, but investors who believe in Apple's future and growth could add it to their watch list and hope for a better price. But important to this is understanding whether you believe in our analyst's hypothesis. As we mentioned, there were tech goliaths like Nokia and Motorola that were seen as unbreakable, and yet here we are. So think critically about the prospects of a company and whether you are confident that they will be able to maintain the growth trajectory that they've experienced. And this critical thinking is also done for you in our analyst reports in our Bulls Say, Bears Say section. All right, Johnny, I'm going to do bulls. You do bears. Sounds good. Okay. So the bull case... Bullcase says that between greater smartphone penetration in emerging markets and repeat sales to current customers, Apple has plenty of opportunity to reap the rewards of its iPhone business. But the bears say that Apple's decisions to maintain a premium pricing strategy may help fend off gross margin compression, but could limit unit sales growth as devices might become unaffordable for many customers. Okay. Seems like a strong point, but the bulls say that Apple's iPhone and iOS operating system 
have consistently been rated at the head of the pack in terms of customer loyalty, engagement, and security. And that bodes well for customer retention, regardless of these price increases. But bears say that the loyalty is fickle. If Apple were to ever launch a buggy software update or subpar services, it could diminish the firm's reputation for building products that just work. And bulls, of course, counter by saying that Apple's still innovating. They've introduced Apple Pay, Apple Watch, Apple TV, AirPods. And although the revenue is incremental and isn't like their crown jewel, the iPhone, what it does do is it helps retain iPhone users over time. But bears say that Apple is behind Google and Amazon when it comes to innovation and integrating AI. If AI is a future, this could be problematic for Apple as they would be behind their competitors on the AI AI front and will struggle to deliver premium surfers to their user base. It's not like anyone thinks AI is going to be big, right? I don't think anyone thinks that. Yeah. Well, you hear it here first. (laughs) AI, just a myth, right? Anyway, that's our bulls and bears segment. And you should do this yourself. You don't have to do this whole bulls and bears thing. You can go pluses and minuses. But we do think it's a good exercise to conduct when you're deciding on the merits of an investment. Although our analysts take the hard work out of it, this is something that all of us can do when evaluating anything we are considering buying. All right, so that is our episode for today. We heard about Shawnee's trip. We heard about Apple, and that seems like enough for an episode. So we would appreciate any comments in your podcast apps, of course, maybe on an iPhone. And of course, you can send an email to my email address, which is in the show notes. This episode of Investing Compass is brought to you by Milford. Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong, long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Learn more and see the Milford Fund's product disclosure statements and target market determinations at milfordasset.com.au. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.